It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Really good show coming up. Chris Hine from the Star Tribune joins me in a little bit to talk Timberwolves back in action after a long all-star break tonight. Uh, late game at Target Center to accommodate national TV. It's an ESPN takeover day. Lots of Wolves programming on ESPN throughout the day. And then that Bucks game at 9 p.m. Um, kicking off the post-break schedule. Just a, you know, not a ton of games down the stretch here. Like 25 games left in the regular season. And then, of course, the playoffs. Chris and I will get into all of that entails, everything that they have coming up <clears throat> the rest of this season. And, you know, can they get a number one seed? How much is how important is that? The Mike Conley Jr. extension. All of that was in play when Chris and I talked. So you'll hear that in just a few minutes here. Some twins roster projections caught my eye. I'll get to that here in a little bit. Baseball pants. Uh, we've got to talk about baseball pants, uh, even if you don't want to. We've got to talk about baseball pants. Minnesota United officially has their guy, or at least at least, uh, at least, we know that he's signed his contract. That's according to the Star Tribune story that I just read. So Eric Ramsey will be their new head coach, although exactly when he starts and exactly how many healthy Loons players there will be will, is up in the air. They open their season this weekend in Austin on uh, on Saturday. First, though, what I miss, we got to start Gopher basketball. Um, they win again last night. We kept saying, okay, this is a game they got to have. They got to beat Ohio State, which who they lost to earlier in the year. Jamison battle, a revenge game. Jamison, of course, left the Gophers, said maybe he was going to go pro. Then it turns out he transferred again to Ohio State, um, lit them up for 25 points in the win for Ohio State earlier this year in Columbus. Comes back here, gets booed every time he touches the ball. That's a sideshow, though, right? That's a sideshow. This this game actually meant something. This game meant something to the Gophers. They win 88-79. They keep shooting the ball really well. Now, they they keep winning. They keep they keep sending me sending me scurrying for now where where are they at in the uh, in the net rating? Where are they at in their chances to make the NCAA tournament now, right? They they're 8 and 7 in the Big 10, winning record in the conference, five regular season conference games left, and then the Big 10 tournament in Minneapolis this year. Um, so I got up this morning. The first thing I'm doing is like, oh, are there any sites that project like hey, if you win this, if you lose that, if you win that, where are you going to be in the net ratings? What do you got to do to get there at the end of the year? And, you know, nobody knows the magic formula. Some of it's going to depend on who they beat, who, how well some of these other teams around them fare, things like that. But I think the point that I want to make here is, A, this team is a lot of fun. A lot of people I see, you know, talking about this team now on social media, talking about them just in general, say, hey, this is a fun team. The conversation has changed. Post-game, after this game, uh, the Big Ten Network folks were talking about, is Ben Johnson a coach of the year candidate? Right now, you have to say sure he is because they were projected to finish last in the Big Ten, and now we're talking about how high in the conference can they finish? Are they a potential NCAA tournament team? Things like that. So the narrative has changed from Ben Johnson on the hot seat to Ben Johnson, Big Ten Coach of the Year uh, candidate. So that is interesting to me. But I think bigger picture, we're kind of losing sight of just kind of where where the season is because we've, we've gotten a little bit too focused, or at least I've gotten a little bit too focused on, are they going to make the tournament? I think we need to reframe our focus kind of the same way Ben Johnson says his team approaches games. This was Ben Johnson uh, after the win against Ohio State last night. You know, when you trust the process and you do what we do on both sides of the ball, the result can be what the result was. Like I told him, don't get caught up in the like what the run was. I don't know if it was twenty two eleven or whatever it happened to be. Um, 
you know, good teams, that's not the point. It's the process of, like, what did you do to get it there? The result is a byproduct of the process, and you believe it in that and staying true to it. And I just think our guys have a lot of belief right now. They they now have won, and so they understand what our winning looks like. It's different than what Penn State or Michigan State or Northwestern's looks like. Uh, you know, for us to win games, we got to do certain things, and I think we're, we're really starting to figure that out and, and owning that. So they've gotten to this point by not focusing on the things that we're focused on, right? Obviously, they kind of know where things stand. They know that if they keep winning, things will take care of themselves. But they're not so much worried about results. They want results. Everybody wants to win. But I think the lesson in sports in general in the last 5, 10, 15 years, however long it is, you kind of roll your eyes sometimes at these coaches who say, we're focused on process over results. We're focused on process over results. What They're, they're not saying they don't want to win. They're saying... The process will take care of the results. And I think with the Gophers, you're seeing an example of that this season. They didn't go into the season saying, man, we got to win X number of games in order to be successful or to compete and then like strain and kind of worry about it when, when it wasn't happening, when they were in a losing streak. They just kept working at it, trying to get better, trying to improve. And then you've seen the improvement in this team over the course of the year. Elijah Hawkins, huge game uh, against Ohio State, another big game. He's been instrumental as the, as the transfer coming in, running point guard. Dawson Garcia, another really good game. Like They have the pieces in place now. Farrell Payne, a lot of pieces in place right now to be successful game in and game out. doesn't mean they're going to win every game. doesn't guarantee you anything in these last five in the Big Ten, but they're giving themselves a chance by their process right now. Now, the results. What do they need from the results in the last you know, five regular season games and the Big Ten tournament? I'm not sure. Their non-conference schedule, like Marcus Fuller and I talked about yesterday, will ding them at a certain point. One of the worst in the country, dragging down their net rating. The Big Ten is not a strong conference this year. That will drag them down right now, too. So I think... What you're looking at is a minimum minimum expectation that they have to have a winning record in the Big Ten, which means finishing three and two in these next five games. An opportunity this weekend at Nebraska. That would be a big win for them. That would be a quad one win. They don't have enough of those right now. Opportunity to beat kind of a similar team to them, move up in the net rating. So they've got two home games that you would want them to win still at, against Indiana and Penn State. Road games, like I said, against Nebraska, Illinois, and Northwestern. They're going to be favored in those home games. And then those road games, they're going to be the underdogs, I would imagine. So got to win the two at home, I would think. And and take at least one of those road games. Then you're thinking, okay, 11-9 and nine going into the Big Ten tournament. Got to win at least one Big Ten tournament game, kind of depending on what your seed is. Maybe make a run to the conference semifinals. Then I think you're feeling pretty good about where you're at, even in a weak Big Ten. Anything less than that, I don't think you're getting it done. Anything more than that, I think your solid footing feels a little bit better. But finish at least 11-9 and nine in the conference. Win at least one Big Ten tournament game. I think you're feeling okay about yourself at that point not great but okay at least on the bubble at that point but again these things will sort themselves out the fact that we're even talking about these things this year means that this season has been far more successful than a lot of us would have thought they would be uh has shown that ben johnson deserves more time deserves to keep going with this hey he might be coach of the year in the big 10 so he certainly deserves that the process over the results the results are taking care of themselves and that is a, is that is not something that I expected out of this year's Gophers team. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. 
Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Glad to be joined right now by Chris Hine from the Star Tribune. It's time to talk Wolves again, Chris. It was it's All-Star break was long. They, didn't, they stopped playing, and then it was more than a week they're finally going to start playing again um, Friday night against the Bucks, nationally televised ESPN. It's this big ESPN takeover for the Timberwolves. Lots of Wolves content on ESPN Friday as they kind of showcase, you know, a team that's not necessarily flown so much under the radar this year, but, you know, franchise-wise, this isn't a team that's had a lot of success, and they may be starting to get a little bit of that national profile right now. Yeah, not a ton of national TV exposure. So I, I wonder if like this is ESPN's way of making it up to them for, for having such a good season is, okay, we'll give you basically your own day, um, you know, to, to showcase one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Um, fun, should be a fun matchup. Um, you know, if you can stay up late on a, on a Friday night to, to tune in. Um, and then that affected the following night's start time as well because it's a back-to-back at home. So the, the game Saturday night also got pushed back an hour so, to accommodate for NBA rules on back-to-backs and the timing of it all. So, you know, seven-game homestand overall, their longest home stretch of the season coming up here. Um, but also kind of a weird schedule because there's like a lot of back-to-backs in that in that mix as well. A uh, very, very oddly structured schedule coming up. Well, that leads me to a good kind of first discussion point here. Seven-game homestand, like you said, some weird scheduling stuff in there. They've, they've just had a long break, so it's not necessarily like they need rest, recovery days as much right now. But how how important do you think it is, A, in general, and B, to them to get a high seed? Let's say number one, number two, how important is that to them? Because I feel like it's it varies in importance from team to team, but I want to know how how important you think it is in general and to them this year. I think it matters a little bit more to them than, you know, as we were discussing before we recorded, like Denver, who already knows it can win a title. Um, I don't think it's a huge, huge priority. To, to get the number one seed, like if they don't, like it's going to be some sort of huge disappointment if they end up, you know, two or even three. Um, but when you are a relatively playoff inexperienced team, it, any advantage you can get is a good one. And then listen, Denver rode home court all the way to the title last year. You know, they were, they were lights out at home uh, during the playoffs last year. So I do think it still matters at least a little bit you know, it, playoffs are more about matchups than than anything else. Um, home court doesn't seem to matter as much as it as it once did. Um, but from that from that end of things, I think the Wolves really like what they have going at home. They're very successful this year at home. They like the atmosphere uh, of Target Center. You know, it can get loud, and uh, you know, I think it's a it's a really they thrive off of the energy of the home crowd. So I do think. It does matter a little bit to them, but overall, if they were the two seed, it's not going to be some sort of letdown for them. They were the one seed the one time they made a playoff run 20 years ago. I mean, we're probably going to be talking about that a lot when things get a little bit closer, but they did have the one seed, and home home court was important in, in that in that eventual 
you know, run to the conference finals. They played a game seven in the conference semifinals and having home court against the Kings that year was pretty, pretty important. It was a very close game seven. They won. They had home court for the Western conference finals, but they, they gave, kind of gave that up. They had the Sam Cassell injury lost to the Lakers in six, but it was still, you could still feel the importance of it. And they, they played hard for it. And they had a big winning streak towards the end of the season. They were battling, I believe San Antonio and one other team for the top seed in the West. And they got it by a game. And I, I remember it mattering a lot to them back then. And again, kind of a similar scenario. They were, a team that hadn't broken through. They'd been to the playoffs a bunch of times, but hadn't broken through with the playoff series win. Kind of like these Wolves. That, that was a more established team. But, you know, Wolves have been to the playoffs the last two years, haven't had any kind of home court advantage. This is a different kind of year for them. It, it is. And, and that's why I say I think it does matter to them a little bit, especially as you go through these these early rounds here, just to have more chances to be in a comfortable atmosphere have Anthony Edwards feed off the home crowd, Carl Anthony Towns, when, when you know, your, your two most important players um, on the offensive end haven't had a lot of playoff success or at least experience. Um, I think, it, I think it does just help your, your psyche a little bit and it helps the role players a little bit. They tend to perform better at home than on the road, especially in the playoffs. You know, so maybe it helps, you know, guys like Nikhil Alexander Walker, Monte Morris, uh, Nas Reed when you get down to it. Um, but like I said, I, you know, I, I think they're, I think they're in a good, I think they're in a good spot overall. They, they put an emphasis on the regular season and playing more than maybe any other team in the league or as much as any other team in the league. Um, I think their schedule is relatively on the easier side coming down the stretch here. I, I don't think they have one of the more difficult schedules. I think they're in the, kind of more of the top half of the league in terms of an easier, easier schedule. Um, you know, and I think the Clippers, it's interesting. I think the Clippers, it's such an atypical season, I think for them, because we're so used to having like, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and those guys seem seeming to miss multiple weeks, you know, throughout the course of the yeah. season. That really hasn't happened for them this season. And the Clippers, I think finally realized like, Hey, we need you guys to play as much as possible in the regular season because you can't be figuring it all out by the time the playoffs get here. You have to have figured it out during the regular season. So the Clippers actually have gotten their stuff together this year in a way that they haven't in previous years. So uh, to me, in my mind, I don't want to discount Denver, but I really do feel like Denver's going to make sure that they're just there at the end of the season with a top four seed. Uh, you know, I think it's the Thunder, Clippers, and Wolves that are going to be kind of hacking away at each other for that top seed. I, th- I just my personal opinion. You were at All Star Weekend. You have Chris Finch, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards were there too. Cat was in the three point contest, scored fifty points in. If we can call it a basketball game, two eleven to one eighty six. We're not going to see. Um, <laughs> that's like two. That's like two games from the nineties worth of scoring. Um, but. It it was it was something to, something to behold at the very least. You were there. You have takeaways from from the weekend. What you saw, anything you heard, things like that. I mean, it's the NBA's got a. I I think the NBA and and a generation of fans really really care about the All Star game and the quality of the game. Obviously, the NBA cares because of the business implications of it. It is such a marquee event for them. I just, I just don't get the feeling that like other generations, younger generations, 
really care all that much about having a competitive all-star game the way it was in the 80s and 90s. I just don't think we care enough. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. Anthony Anthony Edwards said as much after the game. He's like, I'm not, he's like, why am I going to get, you know, kind of amped up for an all-star game, right? Like he doesn't have that sort of uh, perspective uh, of that. You know, he, he grew up in an era where the all-star game hasn't really been all that competitive or, you know, there's not so much pride or bragging rights, whatever you want to call it on the line. So I, I, I think the NBA has to figure something out um, in terms of revamping the, the format, the model of it, and just lean into the fact, I think, ultimately, you're going to have to lean into the fact that these guys don't want to exert themselves too much. They don't want to risk getting hurt. Their teams, you know, probably don't want them to risk getting hurt in an all-star game. So you have to figure something out that's entertaining uh, while still – being able to attract the number of eyeballs that you want to the, to the television screen. So I think it's in a weird spot right now, the all-star game. I don't think the amount of pearl clutching I see on social media is worth the energy <laughs> no. because I, I just think those, those days are gone and you have to let it go. And we just got to come up with something else uh, in its place at this point. Anthony Edwards is probably the one, one of the Wolves players that you would have liked to see get, some rest and obviously after all-star weekend there's a few days off where he can probably kind of catch up a little bit who knows how much like a young guy like that sleeps and rests anyway but how do you see his kind of i don't want to say second half it's second you know third third of the season how do you see this uh this last third of the season going for going for him as you know as, as some of the attention gets a little bit more focused on hey you know getting close to the playoffs what is this team really made of where do you, how do you think he calibrates himself for that? Yeah, good good question. I think we saw Ant, I think, towards the end of the second third of the season there. Offensively, I thought he was in a really good place, um, starting with kind of that road game at Milwaukee. And even going back to the to the Bulls game that they lost, I, I, I just think that he was he was really playing well, making making a lot of really good decisions. Uh, figuring things out with Rudy Gobert on the screen and roll, really playing fast and making quick decisions, which is something that Chris Finch often harps on with him is, you know, don't give the defense a chance to set itself against you. You like use your, use your quickness and athleticism, you know, to, to your advantage. Um, and then when you go quickly and you make quick decisions, it's hard for a defense to keep up. And I think he was doing a really good job of that, especially like, you know, second half of that Clippers game, the, the Milwaukee game. Um, and then the the second Portland game when he kind of took it over um, and late in that third quarter when Portland was making a, a comeback. Um, so I think as long as he can just kind of keep up what he was doing there, I think he's going to be just fine and the Wolves are going to be just fine because I really do feel like he was in a really good spot prior to the break. Mike Conley got a extension during the break, two years, a little over $20 million. Was that, to me, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but I was like going into the season thinking, okay, this is a guy who's, you know, 36, he's on an expiring contract. Is this where they kind of finesse some of the, you know, some of the cap space they're going to need to keep this whole roster together? But then you're like, well, yeah, but then you don't have a point guard. Like how did you, where was, what was your level of kind of, thought when when the extension was became uh, became announced 
Not really surprised. Um, Tim Connolly said as much back at media day that they wanted to try to get something done with Mike. Um, I think when you talk to, to Mike, he, he, he ha- his family has found a home here in Minnesota. And I mean that, you know, not just literally, but figuratively, they've, they've kind of taken to the area. Um, he, he's, he doesn't want to move them again. I know the move was very difficult, um, you know, mid-season last year, Utah to Minnesota. I don't think he's at a place just personally that he wants to do that again to his family or with his family. So finding a home here in Minnesota, competitive team at this point in his career, you know, really, really working towards something, trying to be competitive for, for a title. I think it, I think it just kind of hits all the buttons of where he's at in his career, um, both personally and on the court. So why not? Why not stick around for a few more years? And even if it means taking a little, taking a little discount, he's made a lot of money in his career. Um, taking a little discount to keep some flexibility, you know, around because we know we know the luxury taxes is, is going to rear its head next year. But this, at least, you know, is they have a starting point guard, you know, next season for ten and a half or so million dollars, which is, you know, a, a really a really good deal. Uh, when you look at it and just given what he's meant to this team, um, important to just have that, I think, continuity uh, on the floor, especially if you're looking at this as maybe a couple year window to really push your chips and resources in the middle of the table to try to to try to be competitive and go deep into the playoffs. It, it does add to the kind of questions in the offseason, though, about how they're going to make it all work money wise. I mean, it does, but you also I mean, look at it this way. There's no team in the NBA anymore. You've got to, you're going to, if you want to win, you're going to have to spend and you're going to have to go into the luxury tax. That's just a fact of life in the NBA right now. There, there's no way to really make this work long-term by being under the tax. So the Wolves, the front office management, uh, ownership, all has to kind of look at what happens this year with this team and make some decisions moving forward. If they make a deep playoff run, like I, I don't know how they can't try to run it back at least a little bit um, next season and, and go into the tax at least, or deep into the tax, deep into that second apron, whatever, wherever it ends up um, for at least another year and another swing at this. That's just the fact of where you are in the NBA right now. Um, so I think, but I just think getting a starting from, point guard and a point guard of Mike Caliber's or Mike Conley's cal- caliber for about $10 million a year is, is a, is a very good deal. Um, you know, regardless of the money issues, the, the, the Timberwolves are not going to be, are not in the second apron because they've re-signed Mike Conley for $10 million. That bet, no, that bet has already true. been made. Um, that bet has already been made, but if you're trying to keep this together, trying to have some continuity, trying for multiple swings at this, uh, it's important to get him locked down for at least a couple more years, which they did. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking insured by NCUA. Final thought then, how do we, how do we define success then is, you know, th- we got 25 or so games left in the, you know, back half of the season here. How do we, how do we figure this out? How do we how do we know kind of what what is enough to keep this together? Yeah, well, that's the 
that's the hundreds of millions of dollar question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I think I, I've always just personally, and this is not, you know, from knowledge or, or anything of talking to people around the team, just me personally, if you get to the conference finals, I think that's good enough to say that you're going to spend what it's willing to take for another year uh, and, and try to keep it together. I think if you get to the second round and you're competitive and maybe lose a, a, a tight series in seven games to, you know, let's say Denver, right? And Denver goes on to win the title again. I think then you can just, you could also justify saying, hey, look, we took the title winners to seven games. Yeah, it was the second round, but it was the title winners and we were right there with them. Now, if you go to the second round and you get, swept or you lose in five games or of course if you lose let's say in the first round then i think it's fair to say well is this really going to work long term do we or do we need to look at some 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 ways to kind of adjust the roster you know in and around this while still being competitive but tweaking with a little bit of maybe not going so heavily into the tax i think it all i think it really does matter Kind of what happens should they get to the second and third round of the playoffs? What's going to what's going to happen next year? But my bar was always like, I think if you can get to the conference finals, that's a no brainer. You have to try to keep keep pumping resources and money in to try to make it happen again the following year. Yeah, I think those are all good points. It's going to be a fascinating final month or two of the regular season and the playoffs. Chris Hine, I'm sure you'll be on with me so many times that you're going to get sick of me, but uh, I'm sure no, the listeners... That, that'll, that'll never have hasn't happened in my six years of working at the Star Tribune. <laughs> it's not going to happen now. <laughs> all right, well, I, I'll hold you to it. The listeners never get sick of it. They always say you're one of their favorites. And I'm not just saying that, so appreciate the time today, Chris, and uh, thank, we'll talk thank, to you again soon, you. I'm sure. Thank, thank you to my mom and dad for writing and appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Bye. Really good stuff from Chris Hine, as usual. I uh, always love talking Timberwolves with him. One more final thought about kind of the push for the number one seed, wherever the Wolves wind up. The problem I see in all of this is that even if they get the one seed and, you know, looking at the basketball reference, playoff probability reports, good chance they'll be a one or a two as long as they stay healthy, as long as they keep winning. Their schedule is just that easy. Clippers and Nuggets, things get a little harder. Thunder um, looking like they'll be maybe the major contender with the Wolves. They're going to want it just as much as the Wolves. But these teams down in the 7, 8, 9, 10, these playoff, these play-in ranges, you could have teams like the Lakers, the Warriors, the Suns, maybe even... Even the Mavericks down there. That's going to be a tough first-round matchup. It's not going to be one of those years where you feel like you go into it and you're like, okay, we, we can kind of you know throttle down a little bit in the playoffs. We, we don't have to expend everything. It's going to be a tough, probably a tough first-round matchup against a team that's got a winning record, against a good team in that first round. So that is my word of caution right now, that even if the Wolves have you know their best they could have their best regular season in franchise history you know top the top the year that they had in you know 20 years ago when they won 58 games they could do that and still have a really hard first round matchup so just looking at this looking at how this could play out that is a concern i have a little bit down the road let's finish with the cooler the 3 p's of baseball pitching projections and pants let's get to those here right now pitching 
the Twins. I still want them to have more rotation depth. I still feel like they could use another pitcher. Hey, I get that Joe Polad says they're not going to be adding more uh, more payroll, a ton of payroll right now. So, hey, where's the pitching going to come from? Maybe there's going to be some other move made in the next six weeks before opening day. I don't know. I just don't feel great about their starting pitching right now, which brings me to projections. Bobby Nightingale Jr. did his look at the projected opening day roster for the Twins, the 26-man roster, who is on, who is off. couple things caught my eye. One, he's got a starting rotation that doesn't include um, doesn't include Louis Varland, and he's got a bullpen that doesn't include Louis Varland. Surprising to me. I thought Louis would have a spot in one or the other, but Bobby sees Louis maybe being the odd man out in the rotation if everybody's healthy. He likes, obviously, the top four are basically locks right now. Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, Chris Paddock, and then he's got Anthony DiSclefani penciled in as the number five starter. That makes a certain amount of sense to me to start the year as long as everybody's healthy. I thought that meant that you would then have Louis Varlin in the bullpen, but he doesn't have Louis Varlin in the bullpen either. He's got Joan Duran, Griffin Jacks, Caleb Thielbar, Brock Stewart, Justin Topa, Jay Jackson, Stephen Okert, and Josh Stamount. So there you go. You've got eight bullpen guys, and you've got uh, five starters, none of them uh, Louis Varlin. That's a little bit of a surprise to me. Everything else pretty much seemed as I expected it. And one other thing that I noticed when I looked at his projected roster was, now I see why they didn't trade Max Kepler. They don't have a whole lot of outfield depth without Max Kepler. They got maybe Trevor Larnick, Emmanuel Rodriguez, depending on whether you think he's going to be ready sooner or later, but he's probably a little bit too young. You got Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, Matt Walner, and Willie Castro projected to make your team in the outfield and you've got Austin Martin as an infielder making it he can play some he can play some outfield too probably so you've got kind of that versatility guy there so you've got some depth but not a ton of quality depth if you would have traded Max Kepler this offseason so you can see why Jorge Polanco at least at the moment was the the most tradable or the most likely to be traded of those guys and who did end up going out this year and you know getting them some some depth people some good some good potential in return so that that stood out to me too when looking at Bobby Nightingale Jr.'s projected opening day roster. Go check out the full thing, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, um, and just uh, you know go go check that out and see if you agree with that. The pants, baseball players are upset. Sounds like the pants that they've been given this year are see-through. They are giving the league a talking to. They're relaying their concerns about the see-through pants. You can kind of see through the top part. You can see the the jersey through the pants you can see you know through the pants in general just looking at a picture of Shohei Itani you can see his his Dodgers jersey through his pants when it's tucked into his pants um is Philly shortstop Trey Turner here's a quote I know everyone hates him we all liked what we had we understand business but I think everyone wanted to keep it the same way for the most part with some tweaks here or there so they don't like the pants. Um, apparently, they're stretchier. They drive faster, but they're also a little bit see-through. That's not so great. So we'll see where this goes. Uh, baseball has a pants crisis on its hands. We'll see how they are able to solve that as the year goes along. That will do it for me today, ending the week on pants. Um, I have a special episode over the weekend. Talk to Jeff Day about his big story on Max Exted, tennis player, local tennis player who is uh, kind of making a bid to be a national star teenager. And so we'll, we'll get into that this weekend. That will that will go live sometime this weekend. And, of course, Roycey on Monday. Plenty to talk about with him. Until then, I am Michael Rand. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and the weekend. Back at it again later. <laughs>